It's Friday and I am Dennis Mitch Maley with Don Kitterman and we are the Bradenton Times podcast. Listen, this week it's freezing. Different kind of weather here in Manatee County. We've got a cold snap in Florida and I'm told that it could get down as low as freezing 32 degrees on Sunday. Sunday's going to be the colder of the two days. Tomorrow's not going to be uh, much prettier, but Sunday it could get down to 32 degrees real early in the morning. And they're actually even saying they're warning of pipe freezings and some different things that people in Florida never have to think about. And Gasparilla is Saturday and it will be the coldest Gasparilla in the event's hundred year history. So uh, a very, very unlikely uh, Florida January cold snap that we get to. You're from the Midwest. I'm from Pennsylvania. We get to uh, uh, break out some of our old uh clothes and try to bundle up huh i, I don't i don't have any i mean no. i'm from the midwest long enough uh, ago well, i've been here 20 years but i still have like I 15 winter jackets out in the shed that are just like well, oh, well i, 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 I moved here one. as a kid and oh, okay. the year i moved here was actually the first or not not the first year but the year that i moved here it snowed mm. so i moved what year was that? 89 oh wow so i moved here from northern illinois right on the border of wisconsin and uh, I had never been to Florida. And, you know, it was kind of pitched to me by my parents. Did it snow here? That's yes, oh, that's what wow. I'm saying. That was the excitement that was being pitched to me was, oh, we're going to go to this magic land where it never <laughs> snows, right? And we get here, I don't know, I, I was a kid, but I think it was like a, a week or two before Christmas, yeah. probably closer to like a week. And so we end up going and going to some new colleagues of my father's, um, for a Christmas party, just, I don't even know, it may have been Christmas Eve or maybe the day before Christmas Eve. And um, yeah, it starts snowing. It starts snowing. And everybody in this place is freaking out, right? They got the doors open, they're running outside and everybody's screaming, oh my God, it's snowing. And you know, everybody's freaking out. The so doors. 18, 1989 was last time it snowed here in Bradenton. To, to my knowledge. Okay. And I, I briefly remember that one or vaguely, I would have been like junior high. I remember being younger, uh, maybe like when I was around six, seven years old, and I remember being at my grandparents' house and watching a uh, it was snow and ice in Florida, and they were bringing torches out <laughs> to uh, try to keep the frost from killing that year's orange mm -hmm. uh, crops. Mm -hmm. And they're showing that in the news. But no, I've I've been here twenty years now. Um, I just had my twentieth anniversary a couple months ago, a few months ago, and uh, I have not seen snow yet. Well, I'll tell you, it was an interesting spectacle coming from the north where I had always grown up yeah. in that, right? To then see Floridians who are just losing, losing their minds. <laughs> and I'm looking at my parents going, first of all, you told me it didn't snow here. Second of all, it's freezing and these people have the door wide open and they're running in and out. Nobody's got coats. Right. Like what the heck is wrong with her? I mean, I get it now that I've lived here this long, um, but I will never forget that. And I just remember telling my mom like, you said it didn't snow here. <laughs> well, bundle up. And if you're listening to us on Sunday, make sure you're keeping warm and uh, maybe maybe a little drip from those pipes to keep them from freezing. Uh, Don, next you're going to give us a little COVID update. What do we got in terms of some numbers? Well, so we don't have uh, this week. So as if, if you've read my reporting, so we changed quite some time ago, the state of Florida. We used to have that dashboard, which was really handy. And so you could look on the daily um, that has changed now, and now we receive just a, a weekly report for the most frequent recent seven days, and that comes through. Um, it's not. It's 
it's linked to on our local level county site. You can go to the Florida Department of Health and you can link to it. But, it. but it all links back to the state. It's one huge state broken down by county report summary for the seven days. That comes out on Fridays, usually later afternoon. So that has not come out yet. So we don't know the most recent seven days. Um, we're still, it still looks like we're seeing, um, you know, some pretty, pretty significant community transmission. Uh, the schools are reporting this week still on their, di- on their district dashboard. We can see that uh, Monday, what was it? They had um, 166 cases reported. Tuesday was 153. Majority of these are student positives. Um, and then it, in like typical, most weeks, it starts kind of trending down as the week moves on. And then you go out for the weekend, you come in Monday and you have a, a kind of a larger number again. Um, and that's been that way now for about eh, three, four weeks, I guess, since the surge. Not right when the surge began nationally, because I think Florida kind of trickled behind that. And so we're kind of, we, we started going peaking up behind what the national trends were showing, right? And so we're also going to start trending back down slightly behind what the national trends are showing. Um, and, and looking at the district, I think, uh, the, the school district dashboard, I think it's important to note, too, that the, the case numbers that you see there, it's really, I feel like, it's really useful for watching the trend itself to see the up or the down. It's not real useful to know the actual extent or number of cases or spread in any kind of exact way because I think at this point there's a lot of people in the community particularly with this variant causing much more mild infections for a lot of people particularly in vaccinated people may not even some people vaccinated or not who knows maybe they they have no symptoms at all so these people are not testing uh, and if you have mild symptoms testing is not has not been in weeks gone by is convenient and so people are not wanting to for a stuffy nose yeah, sit in very, line very for six seven to hours a, to have a handle on those numbers right now mm-hmm. case numbers because of that i mean it's always been a matter of are people like i i don't think we'll ever know how broad mm-hmm. the asymptomatic spread mm-hmm. was uh again especially among younger uh, uh people who tend to be asymptomatic mm-hmm. more often I don't think we'll ever have a good handle on that. But the good news does seem to be we're entering what they call the endemic phase of this pandemic and that it is headed toward, it seems, fitting into the portfolio of other things that we deal with, such as the flu and so forth. And the Omicron variant hopefully does win out. And that's really what was predicted by epidemiologists from the beginning was that you know in this sort of situation, the, the likely outcome is that you have a milder variant that becomes dominant because as these mutations happen, obviously the worst, most strong ones are most likely to kill their hosts, which gives them Correct. less chance to spread. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, some of the nastiest diseases in the world, like Ebola and stuff, knock on wood, we've, we've always been able to really avoid uh, a pandemic type situation with them. And the Omicron variant winning out hopefully is, is is good news. And we're starting to see from the White House down, we're starting to see a lot of consensus of, look, we are not, you know, we're not going to get much better than this. We're never going to get to zero COVID. You know, that, that, that kind of thing is nonsensical, especially since we're now finding how deep the animal reservoirs are and how, you know, this is riddled through deer, um, through house 
pets. You know, we're starting to see that cats, cats are more, uh, saw this week that we're finding out cats are way more susceptible to uh, respiratory cases with it than dogs seem to be. But, you know, with, with house pets as a reservoir, with the all the other animals out in uh, the wild that can act as reservoirs, it's, it's going to continuously be something that's here. Um, but the policy part seems to be adjusting to a more sensible um, level, at least in some places. Now, my son's out in California where LA schools said now kids have to wear N95 or N95 style mask with the, with the wire rim in it all day during the class, even when they're outside. And uh, I go into, in my Sunday column this week, I go into some of the really, really concerning metrics that we're starting to see in early childhood development. You know, I, I said this right from the start. And, you know, for those of you who've read my column, you know, I, I did, the, I think, somewhere dozens and dozens of COVID updates uh, called the COVID Chronicles over that time where I reported a tremendous amount of data. And, you know, I've always been very much a follow the science, follow the numbers, follow the data, and, you know, come up with sensible policies, err on the side of caution uh, until we know more. Um, however, you know, I have shifted in the sense of I, I do think a lot of times the reactions have prompted results worse than the disease itself. And I think one of the places that we're seeing this, and I said right from the beginning, we're going to have a lost generation of kids. We're going to have in that earliest development stage, that that you know three to five area, where so much of a child's early cognitive skills are developed, and it really sets a course and a trajectory for their uh, intellectual development over the rest of their lives, that has been impacted. And we're seeing that notably, and I talk about a lot of really sobering data on how children as a whole on, on, on the wide, we're seeing that they broadly are scoring lower in a lot of the key metrics in that age group. And it's really a big unknown on how that will impact that trajectory. We know it'll impact it negatively, but to, to how great of a degree and whether those children will ever catch up cognitively and academically is going to be a big challenge for society. And I think it's something that we're going to have to think really hard about in terms of setting policies, particularly in the future, um, when it comes to keeping kids in the classroom, having the social play elements that, that are so important to development and... Um, you know, being judicious with the mass policies in the sense of looking at where the real high risk is, where it's not, and adjusting accordingly. So it's something important that we're going to have to do. Well, and uh, as I shared a couple weeks ago on the podcast, uh, what my prior work was in and what my... my in early childhood was, development. Correct, correct. correct. Um, so I, I am understanding much of what you're you're sharing. I do have a couple of thoughts about it, though. I think ultimately... It will, it will be several years beyond now until we really can have a fair perspective on um, which side of what thing, the policies or the disease itself or um, trauma to families, you know, parents in hospitals for extended period of times or parents distressed with young children because they lost their parents. Um, you know, there's, there's so many factors at play and I think that it will be quite some time. I mean, there's still a lot of data being compiled globally concerning, um, you know, even children who had an entirely asymptomatic case of COVID, nobody even knew they had it, um, then ending up with the MSIC, um, extending, there's, there's actually a family here in town, their, their toddler, uh, that unbeknownst to them, 
had an undiagnosed case of COVID asymptomatic. Um, she's about 18 months old, um, then exhibited uh, symptoms of illness, which were later diagnosed as MISC, which is an inflammation response. Yes. Um, she ended up uh, in all children's for an extended period of time, has been released and back and released and back. And they've been struggling with this now and sure. keeping her healthy for months. And to my knowledge, she didn't have any prior existing. Now, these are rare cases. It's and, an, and that's what, that's not what a lot. it comes down to with the you know policy engagement is risk versus well but reward. that but that's the part i think that is still a missing piece of the puzzle is for those children or and or adults um that have yet unidentified delays there may even be potentially i'm not saying i know this to be true but we may find that there may even be some neurological or brain um I, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? I don't want to say like damages or injury per se, but um, some interference uh, from previously being infected by COVID. Because we still, my understanding is we still don't really understand the nature at which COVID responds inside of every, you know, it seems to yes, respond no differently question. in everyone's no body. But we do have enough data to, to really have a good understanding of, to start to look now and say, yes, you're going to have these extremely rare extremely rare cases of younger kids having long going problematic situations. But then we also know that you're going to have a very broad impact on just about all the children as a response. Well, and well, all I'm saying is that we're going to have to weigh and say, just like we do with anything else. Mm -hmm. Like for example, we could say, listen, the, the, we could look at the data of how many kids die in car accidents each year mm -hmm. and say, listen, we know, that if you put the speed limit at 55, or let's say you, you, you regulate, you mandate a governor in, in every vehicle that's, that, that's on the road that can't go faster than 55, you will absolutely save hundreds, if not thousands of kids' lives every year. But we don't institute that policy. We know we would. We know there would be children who are dead next year that wouldn't be if we simply did that. We have the data to understand, crash data, that at those speeds, that once you get down below that level, that's where the, the, the crash and fatalities become uh, uh, significantly lower. That's where the arc really, really changes. And But yet we still don't take every extreme measure that you can to protect anyone. So that's really, I think what we're going to have to look at is, yes, you will always be able to point to any situation and say, but here's someone that, that well, was impacted. And, 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 I, and I want to be clear that categorizing as rare, the extreme, mm -hmm. I, I agree that that is accurate. It is, it is all that is in between. It's, it's been a while since I've gone and looked at any recent published data, but on the AmericanPediatrics.org, um, you can go there and kind of look at, at some of their work doing tracking uh, impacts to children, both in, in the way that you're speaking of and in terms of the illness itself. Um, and, and the last time I had checked in, and this may, have, this may be outdated information, uh, but they were, they were estimating somewhere around potentially 40% of children who are infected have some level of long symptom, which could potentially include something so minor that self-corrects that nobody that ever would be, notices. Well, that, that again would go impossible because we we have no idea what the case level is. So when- Right, well, it's, see, and right. that's what's been hard and all that, that along. Was, like, for example, that was one of the things I took issue with uh, in Determining my the death rate. No, no, even like with the- um, 
for example, when the CDC put out the myocarditis uh, mm -hmm. data and said that you were eight times more likely to get it from the mm -hmm. disease as a teenage boy. Right, uh, well, you can only look at eight times in the populace that you know are positive cases. No, not even that. What that was all based on were people who sought treatment for COVID. So when you look at that and you parse it down that low and say, well, what percentage? So of, they didn't look at the total number of positive cases? No, that was it was based off sought treatment was where that eight factor came in. Uh, That's which interesting. Is, yeah, it's, <laughs> well, it's, again, we have this one narrative, which is vaccinate everybody. Vaccine's the only thing to do. Anything else causes vaccine hesitancy. Hey, I just want to put it out there. I'm vaccinated. I'm so boosted. And I do not have three heads. And I also have somehow, to my knowledge, maintained this entire pandemic without getting COVID now, as see, of yet. I have had COVID uh, before I was vaccinated. I've actually had it twice. And I'm fully vaccinated since, but I'm not getting boosted. And that's one of the things and one of the reasons why I, you know, um, decided against the booster was I, I don't understand why we're not looking at natural immunity. And I'm saying, OK, well, I've had it twice and, and, I, I'm, and I'm I can, fully vaxxed. I can entirely understand that argument. I, and I'm, and I have no pre-existing conditions. Mm -hmm. so I'm a very healthy individual. I, I don't have any of the, the, the high um, uh, comorbidity markers. Uh, and I think we need to have just just a little bit more thought that goes into that. So for example, that data, uh, not only not being able to know how many cases there are, but then to only use people who'd sought treatment. Well, obviously you're talking about very special cases if you're talking about teen males. And then, then we also found out they weren't separating from male and females and it's way higher in males. Mm -hmm. um, so we know on the other end, uh, we know that, um, you know, the, the instances are very low. For example, this is Dr. Peter Adia put this graph out th this week. And it's it's kind of sobering when you look at, if we look at the death rate, okay? So for people under 35, uh, zero to five years old, children are 11 times more likely to die over the last two years uh, from a car accident than from COVID. Um, 9.5 times more likely to die from homicide than COVID and two times more likely that by accidental drug overdose. Those numbers stay pretty consistent. Uh, next one in five to 14, only that we have to add, um, very depressingly have to add suicide into that category. Mm. And kids five to 14 over the last two years were 6.5 times as likely to die from suicide as they were from COVID. That goes up to 8.9 times as likely for suicide from 15 to 24 years old, um, where, where those other numbers get pretty consistent except for the drug overdose, which now goes up to 9.8 times as likely for those 15 to 24 drug overdose and COVID. So when you factor in the way that a lot of the protocols and responses and lockdowns and the lack of social structure have impacted things like depression and, um, you know, other what we call diseases of despair, drug abuse and so forth, uh, you know, again, these are just things that they have to be considered. We have to have broader conversations, I, not just a, you're either completely COVID is a hoax and right. get out the face diaper right. or you're a, you know, hey, let's lock everything down till not a single person dies of this. So, so three, three points, if I may. First, I want to rewind to where I said all this time I'm vaccinated and I didn't get COVID. Let me clarify. I also I have I been, well, I don't know if I had COVID. Right. I have also been pretty reclusive yes. over the last two years you by have, comparison. You have uh, been as on, on the high end of cautious to a very reasonable degree, but what I'm saying is you certainly have taken greater responsibility from your, you and your family in terms of not catching it or spreading it than almost But I, But I also want to um, acknowledge for listeners that there's also a, 
significant element of luck in that, you know, chance. Sure. Um, and so that I, I'm, I don't, I don't want to, uh, come across as though I'm saying, look at how good I've done because I yes. know the way. Um, I recognize that it's, you know, kind of a, a, a game of chance. And, and, speaking- and, and honestly, I have, I have accepted the fact during this surge that almost certainly I was going to be exposed and get it. And, and I may have been exposed, right. quite likely. I've been around people that I know then were symptomatic. They didn't test. Mm-hmm. Um, but, not, but nothing's happened to me, thank goodness. But, um, so second thing, on what we were just discussing there concerning the children. Here's another, here's another element of that that comes into my mind concerning children and uh, also other things we're seeing in terms of you know, m- mental health, depression. There are other um, environmental impacts on the youth that are happening right now due to not just the pandemic and the pandemic protocols, but illnesses in families, the loss of parents, uh, the loss of siblings or cousins or aunts or uncles or neighbors or a teacher in school or what have you. Um, And then you also have the economic strain that the pandemic has caused. And so there are more children who are um, growing up in, in a developmental time in a family that's really struggling for food and worrying about the future and housing is going through the roof. And so there are a lot of other factors that I think not, and this is not to say that protocols may not have also played a role or taken some responsibility, mm-hmm. but I think there is more to look at. And my last point that I wanted to make, going further back to what you said about cognitive delays in uh, the young children, especially between the ages of you know nine months to two years, so much growth happens in there. You know, the windows of opportunities for it really sets the stage for how that child will progress to learn and use the tool of their brain. I do feel very hopeful, and I hope I'm right about this, um, that I think that probably most children will recover those gains because children are really resilient. Well, hold on. That's something I'll push back on because that could, that could set a lot. And I think some of these massive spikes in numbers, particularly in the drug abuse and suicide, suggest that that's just that's a broad statement that, we, that I think has become sort of an idiom um, without right, but that age understanding. Group that age group you're speaking of with uh, drug abuse and suicide mm-hmm. risk factors versus that developmental age. The pandemic's been two years. You're looking at two age demographics of children that, yes, but again, that are over a 10-year absolutely, span. Absolutely, but what I'm saying is, well, let's, let's then narrow it down to the developmental part. Um, there's not a lot of good evidence that they're resilient in terms of making up gains that they don't make by that point. Um, in fact, we know this, and that's why you know third grade uh, reading at level is is such a key metric in looking at education is because we know if they're not reading at level by third grade, that everything t- falls apart all the way through, and that they don't ever really recover. And we know, and that's why we well, really see, focus I on don't, that in Title I, One. See, school. and and we have talked about this before. My view on some things, especially when I feel like all the accurate information isn't yet available or there's too much conflicting that I just get to the point where I'm like, I don't even want to look at it anymore. So then I end up relying quite a bit on anecdotal where I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people do that. What do they see and experience in their own lives? Because if you see it, hear it, know it, then it must be true. Sure. And I think that it'll (laughs) be- And that's true to a degree. But my son is one of those children who at third grade was flagged for being very behind. And Kanan, I'm sorry if you can hear me right now, who was very behind he, um, reading level. He struggled with small motor skills. It sure. took an intervention. It took a lot of work. Uh, by sixth grade, 
he was reading at a freshman high school level. He graduated in the top 7% of his class, um, and he was in honor society and went on to take advanced classes in English, math, science. So, I, I mean, I, it, you can't really paint any of it with a broad well, no, generalization. Tell you there's, there's, there's always an opportunity for people that, have the right support structure and the right resources. And I think that is really track. important Absolutely, in our society. I think, as I've said from the start of this, the price of this is going to be unevenly born. And you're going to have the kids who needed the most help and were mm -hmm. facing the longest odds going into this that are the ones that fall the furthest behind. Mm -hmm. And whether or not we put the right resources in place, whether or not it's even possible, I think remains to be seen. Um, so again, you can't, I'm, I'm not a real Monday morning quarterback type of guy. Uh, and I thought, and I believed very much that when we were dealing with a novel virus that we didn't really understand that well, that the first thing we had to do is make sure we didn't make a fatal, you know, uh, uh, sort of extinction level event possible mm -hmm. by not taking every precaution possible. But I think we can start having after action reviews and, and looking and seeing, okay, we're starting to see that yes, maybe we need to be a little bit more precise and thoughtful and measured in responses that we take in the future um, because a lot of these concerns we had about how they would impact, uh, uh, you know, the broader demographic have shown, you know, pretty clearly been realized. And uh, well, I just I, hope they can be part of the conversation going forward. They I, I, this I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, and if, if, if everything isn't a learning experience, yeah. then what the heck is it, right? right. But, um, and, and gosh, especially with hard, sad things, um, you want to at least look at it and be able to be like, there's something to be gained from this, right? But um, I do think that comparing to where we are now and with the current variant versus what we did then, the Delta surge was very serious. What happened with the healthcare system, the number of people who were impacted, the reported deaths, I mean, skyrocketed. And I know we can, we can act, we can dissect that too. Well, who counts as a COVID death? Did they die with COVID or did they die because of COVID? And, you yeah, know, we don't, we don't have good data. On I know. And then, yeah. and you know, it's and this, this is the thing, but had there been absolutely zero precautions, had we done nothing at all, what would have been the end result? We don't know. We don't know what that would have looked like. We don't know the variant that may have emerged. I do think, and, and one comfort I had in the beginning of the pandemic, when I really started diving into, like many people, virology, and I want to understand and what do viruses do and why do they do that? Um, one thing I've always felt positive about to what you were speaking to earlier is that ultimately the coronavirus is a a would it be classified as a family, a genealogy of viruses that is also the same for like the common cold. The common yes. cold is a it's coronavirus. A coronavirus. Right. Now that is not to downplay and say, oh, well, COVID is just a cold because that it is not. No, it's in the SARS family of coronaviruses, which are much more serious respiratory. However, events. what I was reading back then that brought me some peace was exactly as you were saying, leading toward the endemic stage of things that it does seem more over that the natural course of viruses is not like what you see in the movies where it's just going to keep mutating, mutating sure. until the whole world, you know, we're, we're all going to die. And it's actually the opposite, right. the opposite. I mean, not that it can't mutate to be worse right. or that it can't mutate to it's avoid. Just that all else being equal, a, muta a mutated strain that is less deadly and more transmissible has better odds of dominating 
Right. I think the biggest concern in that mutation for me and the basic understanding that I have as a non-scientist is that it is possible to have that happen, that mutation process happen to a, a more virulent or, or more infectious but less virulent strain like the uh, current variant. But if that strain also then evades... Um, any antibody or immunity response, particularly among um, people who've been previously infected, so they think they're not at risk, and if they have a special need, uh, like special illness or are in a, a high-risk high category, category sure. correct, um, that that could pose some issues. Obviously, that, again, that wouldn't be wide impacting. That wouldn't affect everybody, but it is a consideration that I think about sometimes, like, the just the unknowns we don't i mean right now while this variant spreads it is quite likely we are creating a new colorado variant or florida sure, variant sure, or sure. illinois variant yeah, or there, there will be infinite more variants and there have been way more than we've even discussed oh i'm sure um the uh i'm very curious to hear about your story though you told me the other day you were at wawa <sighs> And this is where this is, this kind of speaks to yes. what you've been writing about. It's just this extreme end. And I don't know, maybe I'm in the extreme end because I stopped at Wawa um, and I had to go inside. Now, let me, let me preface this, this by saying I was having a rough afternoon. Uh, my car was about to run out of gas. Um, my, my child knew we were out of gas, but had gone out to the car to wait for me while I was inside of a store dealing with something, decided she was hot, turned on the car, ran the car in the parking lot for about 30 minutes with on fumes, and then we had to leave that destination to try and quickly find gas before right. dying in the middle of the highway. Um, the first gas station I tried to arrive to, I get to it after crossing multiple lanes of traffic and fighting with red lights and... Uh, it's blocked off, they have no gas, so then I gotta go back onto the road. And so the stress level is rising. So I approach this wall, I finally get in there, I'm like, yes, we made it, we didn't die in the, in the middle of the intersection, thank God. Uh, yeah, just I'm trying to picture my, my daughter and I pushing our, <laughs> our people mover right. in, a, in a busy intersection. Um, but that didn't happen. I pull up to the Wawa pump, I put my card in to begin pumping, uh, after you enter your inter information, you know the routine, you know, select your grade. I selected uh, the lowest grade because I'm cheap. And frankly, I think it's a racket, but whatever. Agreed. <laughs> and, um, and it's put me on the highest grade. Uh. And I was like, this is what's up. And I was already in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, wow, I was trying to trap me. You know, this is a scam. So I march my butt into the store. Well, I put on a mask. I, I have masks in my car, and Wawa in the afternoon is very busy. Sure. Uh, I don't know where these people have been. We have a lot of out-of-towners. Um, you know, I'm not masked in my car. I'm not masked outside at the pump. But to go inside and know that I may be standing in a was line. Was it the Wawa on 301, too? Because I'd wear a mask if there wasn't a <laughs> pandemic in that one. No, it was the one on 70 by um, kind of where that Dairy Queen oh, yeah, is yeah. at 70 gotcha. and 53rd, or 70 and uh, Cortez. 70 is 53rd. Right. So I go in and there's a long line, like because it's oh, a Oh, that was rough too. That's, yeah, that's because there's a Wawa. Right. There's a long line. So I decide, you know, I'm not doing this. So I cut to the front of the line, which is something I never do. But because specifically all yeah, I wanted yeah. to ask him was, please just reset my right. pump. And I, I approached the counter and I said, excuse me, sir. 
I don't know what happened here. Explain the situation. Can you reset my pump so I can try this again? And as he's trying to get information from me, have you already paid any money? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, I think there might be an error with the pump. Can you move over to the other pump? And I'm explaining to him, like, I'll try, but my van might literally die. And he's like, I'm just afraid it's going to happen. And there's this gentleman standing maybe three and a half feet from me with a woman that I assume was probably his mother. She was quite a bit older. Um, and, and, and when I say gentlemen, I'm talking probably your age, okay, much skinnier. Um, and he starts saying, while I'm talking with this clerk, I like your Fauci mask. Hey, that's a pretty great Fauci mask you got there. And then he turns to the woman with him and he's like, ah, she doesn't have to be afraid anymore. She's got her Fauci mask. And I finally, I'm just like, what is your problem? <laughs> like, what is your problem is, can I help you with something? And so I said some rather unkind things and just walked out the door and went to go pump. So then he comes out because he was the next person at the register as I'm just about positioned to this new pump. And he walks out the door and and shoots me kind of a look in like a ha-ha, you're triggered kind of thing. And so I was just like, I've had it. I have had it. So I walked up to him and I was just like, what exactly is the problem? My mask And at this point, I'm not even wearing a mask because I'm back outside, right? I'm like, but whether or not I wear a mask impacts your life absolutely zero, does nothing to you. And you don't know me, sir. You have no idea. What if I have, you know, a child with a terminal illness? What if I have a terminal illness? You have no idea my circumstance or why I'm making the choices I make. And by the way, it's America and I can make the damn choices I want to make within the law. And so he actually leaned into me, came into my personal space and kind of like did that bow up like guys do to guys and was like, oh, I'm going to get in your personal space and breathe in it, right? And I said, that will be the last mm -mm 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 thing you do today, sir. I will kick your butt all over (laughs) this Wawa parking lot. So help me God, I have had it. And at this point, I'm speaking loud and clear. And I can see that the group of about 10 people, mostly male, on the tables outside having lunch begin to rise like, oh, geez, we're going to have to go defend this girl. Frankly, I don't think anybody would have had to come to my defense. I think <laughs> I think I would have done just fine. Um, I'm, I've learned in my years that I am definitely more of a fight than flight when cornered. Mm-hmm. I mean, given the opportunity and the time to think about it and not led by instinct, my responses is maybe different. Um, but it was just definitely not a good day for that gentleman to challenge me. Um, and... Uh, you know, in the end, after that point and, and saying some choice things, uh, he backed down. I walked away. I pumped gas. Everybody at the table sat back down. And one guy stayed standing and watched to make sure that he got in his car and drove away. Uh, but, you know, as I'm sitting there finally getting my gas, I'm thinking, what are the odds that that guy would have ever done that to you? Right. Say, had you been in there wearing a mask? And all I thought was, I hope that it surprised him enough that I was as willing as I was to be loud, clear, and assertive that maybe he won't do that again to yes, somebody. To someone who might not have the strength and fortitude. But, and, to, and God forbid, someone who actually is living in a circumstance right, where there's something absolutely. else really serious happening. Yeah, in I don't life. know why we can't get to the point where, and, and again, this is part of the whole entire problem from, from policy setting down is that people have 
divided into their camps and now have a side for everything oh. and there is zero room for them to make adjustments. Let me let me say this other thing because I forgot. When I made the point to him that you don't know me, I may have a terminal child, he said to me, if your child's dying of cancer, it's probably because you gave them the Fauci shot. Oh. That was right before he bowed up into my face, and hence my response of, right. that's it, it's on. I am willing to take you down if that's what you yes. want me to do, which and thankfully it didn't get to that we've point. We've seen but. that. Look, look, <laughs> for years, I, I, I can't tell you how many people uh, I've encountered um, traveling, mostly Asian, who've worn masks just because that's what they've done through various pandemics that they've experienced. Uh, or You know, not pandemics, but but... Um, different spikes and different different. What, what about California and forest care, fires? Isn't right? there a time of year when most people are wearing respirator type yeah, masks doing their okay. daily chores? Let do people they? do what they want. <laughs> and like, who's really triggered? Obviously he was triggered. Like clearly, right? Like, like he had to like say something to get a response from you. All you had to do was exist with a mask on to get a response from him. So I have no, and listen, you see it on both sides. I've seen it with, with, you know, people who've gone in with, without mask requirements in stores, they've got their mask on and then they scream at somebody who's gotten too close to them that, you know, didn't respect six feet of distance or something, um, you know, and, and want to demand that that person, you know, uh, uh, respects their space or whatever the case is. And it's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be out in public yet if you don't feel that comfortable. And maybe the other guy shouldn't be out in public yet too if he can't act like a compassionate human being. And maybe just the people in the middle who are being reasonable could enjoy this nice <laughs> Wawa that they built for us. This is why we can't have nice things, Mandy County. Right. All right, moving on. I was so worried I was going to see a video of that exchange on the internet or something. Thank God it, it did not show up. Week in addition, as I said, my column this week, I'm talking about those uh, markers, uh, what we're seeing academically in child development. Uh, your piece, you've got some really significant reporting. Again, I got to tip my hat uh, to you. You know, you're fresh off of a big, big hit um, <laughs> with your uh, redistricting map stories, and now you're bringing us a, a a very deep dive into Manatee County salaries and some adjustments that were made in compensation of of county employees, all the way up to the top. So, tell me what what sparked this, and what have we found? So. This was something I was actually kind of diving a little bit into before the maps information even came to me. So this was already, I was kind of already diving in or, or sifting around, if you will, and uh, had to put it on hold and kind of go back to it. And, and I was touching in here and there trying to piece pieces together. Basically what I was doing was I was chasing a lead of a couple of rumors I had been hearing. I had I'd heard speculation that uh, first, that the county administrator, uh, Administrator Hopes, had, was receiving more pay than his contract. And then, and, and this was a rumor, and the person who said it to me was, it was like, uh, I heard it from this person who says they heard it from this person kind of thing, right? And so I, I just kind of put it in my back of my mind. Um, but then there was some mufflings, which seemed a bit more credible, that every employee in the county received an across-the-board 3.9 salary or hourly rate, whichever way they're paid, everybody got an increase of 3.9 uh, in October, 3.9%. And um, that one seemed a bit more credible because it was something that was more easy to kind of um, take temperature on through the community, right? Because every single employee is a lot of different employees.
employees in a lot of different places. Um, and so that's what I went kind of chasing and pulling records requests on and trying to understand which records could help me confirm whether these things were true. And I found some unexpected things and confirmed some other things along the way. I think the, for one confirmation uh, that I did receive is that county administrator hopes per his contract. Now, the county administrator and the county attorney are the only two employees within the, have we decided it as the constitutional office of the commissioners? Yes. So they're the only two that are hired, fired, and um, have their compensation set by a vote of the county commission. And who Everyone have else, their compensation increased. Yes, by the constitution, right. Right, but for um, market rate adjustments. Now, the administrator gets whatever market rate adjustment is put into the budget that every other employee would see. That's and, as per his and, contract. So that can be in there. Can't in his case, it is in there. Yes, it is in there. Um, and in it specifically says to the same rate mm -hmm. as every other employee. And when I'm saying market rate adjustment for listeners, we're talking like a, a cost of living yeah, analysis an that is done. Yeah. Um, it is a, it is a, a process undertaking to analyze and compare our county employees versus other similarly regional sized um, county government workers or even public sector uh, and, and kind of take a measure of whether or not we're paying our people fair, right? Because we want to be competitive. We want to keep our employees and we want to encourage other employees sure. to come in. Um, and then uh, that, if there is found to be um, kind of a... a lacking in in competitiveness then the county administrator will budget budget right. into um he recommends or she recommends into the budget at least this is my understanding yes. that is who makes that call yes um, and, then and then it still has to be approved by the board right yes. and then it is included in the budget yes. and then is approved by the board and this is a this is a common thing mm -hmm. some years there is no issue found and so it's it's zero some years there's more sure. so one two five um so this year, there was an adjustment made of 1%, um, but there was also something included in the budget that I found going through this whole adventure that has not appeared, and I, and I went about four budgets back to look for comparison, um, and it is related to the 2020 uh, minimum wage uh, legislation that was passed by voters, which goes, so on, in September of 2021, the minimum wage is, was now $10. And then from there, it will adjust yearly at a dollar increments will be the requirement until we hit that $15 minimum wage in, in 2026. 2026, yeah. 2026. Um, and in the budget for Manatee County, and I assume much like the cost of living adjustment, this was a determination by the administrator, it was included that in order to address that um, or to address, I guess, any employees that may exist within the county who were not, it's not entirely clear, okay, because when the budget was passed, the requirement was $10 an hour. Near as I can tell, everybody in the county was already making that much. Nobody was being paid less than okay. $10 an hour. Um, so I, I then assume what they were trying to do was get out in front of the 2026 benchmark and that, so they in, put into the budget a 2.9 employee compensation increase 
and just did it across the board. Everybody got it, regardless of what your pay rate was, regardless whether you were paid hourly or on a salary, regardless of, um, you know, if you already exceeded the $15. And again, near as I can tell from what's available online to look at, the number of employees who are not already receiving or in that 15% range is, is the lesser half of the range. whole, or $15, yes. In fact, the, the average employee salary for Manatee County is $38,000. So that's 18.27 cents, um, or $18.27 cents. So what appears to have happened is this 29 adjustment that was determined was needed to meet this minimum wage requirement coming in 2026 was combined with the recommended 1% cost of living adjustment to create a 3.9% increase that everybody just got mm. without any sort of um, discrimination on, without targeting you right, know, without right. any discrimination of, is this person even at risk? Um, so across the board, all the way up to the very top. So now that's the other thing that once I started reading into the budget and realized because I had already received records that showed me there was this discrepancy and what the county administrator was being paid hourly versus what his contract said. And I also followed up by then pulling the um, employee hire action form, so it's not a contract, but it, it lays out the terms of your employment that you're, mm -hmm. that you're agreeing to with the deputy administrator just under him. Okay. His name is, is Ryan Shuttle. Uh, what is his first name? I want to say it's Robert, but don't quote me on okay. that. Um, and so then what I started to try and do was figure out, once I found, to figure out why their rates had adjusted. Now, Ryan Shuttle is new. He's only been here seven months, but yet I could see on his higher action form, he had a, a base uh, hourly rate, base salary that he signed on for. But yet seven months later, I can see he's getting several, two, three dollars more an hour. Um, and I'm thinking, well, how, do, how is that? How is that happening? So when I found this in the market, and then I went back and started in the budget report, excuse me, and I went back and started crunching the numbers and doing the math, which takes me some time because math is not my strong suit. Thank God for calculators. And lo and behold, everybody's um, change in rate of pay comes out to exactly 3.9%. So the question is, I guess, that I still have, and, I, and I've reached out for some filler information from the county. I've requested of the county to confirm for me that I'm understanding correctly what I think I'm understanding. I have not received that yeah, confirmation um, yet. Yeah, and that, that bears noting that the public record <laughs> uh, request process under Administrator Hopes has slowed to, to a real uh, <laughs> like molasses in January type um, ebb here. Uh, it has never been so hard to get public records from the county and it's many of the same employees, so I, I don't believe that it, it, it's it's a you know matter of competence. Uh, but in terms of getting public record, and in terms of just getting answers and or comment on such situations, uh, it seems like they're very content to just ignore everyone's requests or slow walk or you know pretend to be confused or whatever the case is. Um, this is supposed to be 
the Transparency Commission mm -hmm. and the Transparency Government, we would be transparent with the people. This has been more opaque than it's ever been. Well, and, and, and because you've, you've brought it up, I should mention that I, I also reached out by email to the administrator and just asked him, you know, hey, I can see this discrepancy. Here's the forms that I'm looking at. Can you just, can you tell me the explanation? What explains this? Um, and, and how did, how is your rate adjusted without a motion from right. the board? So now this, this, I received no answer. This, uh, you know, the long and short of this is at the end of the day, you've got a county administrator who at one point said he'd do the job for free. And in 10 months, his pay is already up 9.5%. Now that 10 months includes his pay as acting administrator. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, but yes, that's 9.5% of an increase yeah. in uh, a very short amount of time. Um, Less than a year on the job. Considerably more than his female predecessor. was. Well, making. and here's, a, here's another thing, and, and, and I hope, People will take the time to read through the reporting. It, it's almost like really two stories in one mm -hmm. because there, I couldn't really find a way to separate explaining this sure. sweeping 3.9 um, from because that is how the county uh, administrator has increased his hourly rate. But for an average employee at $38,000 uh, a year, that 3.9 adjustment for them was 71 cents hourly, more hourly. But for the highest paid employee in the county, uh, Administrator Hopes, who was contracted at 199 for the uh, role of county administrator, not acting, um, that adjustment for him ends up being $3.73 on the hour. Yeah, yeah. So and so, so where you were saying- There's a little conflict of interest in there. Well, and where, and where you, and conflict of interest now, so everybody got it, well, I know, but if you're the county administrator and you're recommending certain increases and then you benefit more than everyone else, you know, in, because it's based on a raw percentage and you're the highest paid employee, then there is. Well, I would say that there are quite likely, I mean, I can't give an exact number, but there are likely within the county um, many people who are six figure um, salary. If there is a big difference between being the well, average you've got to be a director at that point to be up, or, up that or or a six figure. Well, now you have to understand that this three point nine mm -hmm. went everywhere. Yeah, it yeah. went to all the Absolutely. constitutional offices, sheriffs, clerk of right. court, uh, every, across it, the board. Uh, across the board. Um, now, granted, those other offices are separate in their budgets. They, I mean, it, it, they receive some of their funding from us, but they also may have independent funding sources. Sure. They have their own budgeting. Um, but so, yes, so that was one thing that struck me where you had just talked about, you know, interesting from the uh, transparency administration, right? Also interesting from the fiscally conservative administration that we did not consider a targeted approach if, in fact, yes, absolutely. my question still is, did anything even really need to be addressed? That's another question I have right. for the county, and I'm trying not to bombard them with all of them. I'm waiting for answers to my others before I send in more. But that's another question I have. Am I, in fact, correct that when this budget was passed, no one in the county was below the $10 an hour minimum wage that was required at that time, which that was the requirement at that time. And if, in fact, we're trying to be preemptive of the two, uh, 2026 $15 an hour, then... That, that, that obviously... That's the equivalent of putting a fire hose. Right. Why would on, you not? Why would you door? not? Yeah. You know, worry about targeting what the targeting should sure. be the the lower end employees, the employees who are not there, and those just above their pay rate, right? To kind of keep that. Yes. And, and then, so then, the next question being, 
well, if we just did it across the board like that and untargeted, what is the, what is the end cost to just give everyone 3.9 more? And how do we justify when the higher earners are clearly not at risk of not being in compliance with this minimum wage requirement, right? Not even close. Um, and so then how do we justify spending? Because those higher, those six-figure people, individuals, employees, are the ones who will see the greatest increase. Absolutely. They will cost the most money by this And plan. it also impacts, it, it, it reverberates because then it goes into things such as the um, contributions for uh, uh, the Florida Retirement System, FRS. Um, it also increases the amount of pension that they'll be eligible for as their salary goes up because there's no, t that's the thing with FRS is uh, highly paid administrators are, as they go up, they continue to pad that because there's no upper end on where that ends. It doesn't cap on anything. So sometimes, you know, the last county administrator that we had um, fully retire, uh, I remember when Hunziker retired, I, I forget the number, but it was somewhere, I want to say it was about six to $7,000 he was eligible for monthly in his FRS because of that. So top administrators, county attorneys, county administrators, uh, they can do very, very well with their FRS pension. And, uh, you know, so every little, Bump up helps with that. So yeah, we can read more about that. www.thebradentimes.com. Another great job. Uh, again, if you're listening to this on Friday or even on Sunday, um, in our Weekender edition, I've got two theater reviews in there. Um, I got to see Grand Horizons at the Oslo Rep, and it is an excellent uh, comedy. It is set in a Florida community that could very easily be the Sarasota-Bradenton area. And it's a kind of multi-generational look at uh, the way... I think Gen Xers and Boomers interact, and it's not only funny, but it's really, really poignant. I also had the opportunity to review Urbanite's new production, the regional debut of The Smuggler, which, oh my God, was that an impressive feat. This is, uh, it's a one-man show, and there's there's no fourth wall. He's, he's uh, a bartender telling you a story, and even the front row seats are actually bar tables in on the set but it's told in nine thousand lines of rhyme so you have one actor that's memorized nine thousand wow. lines and never stops and is pouring drinks and there's a lot of physicality in his acting this is very and cool. he doesn't flub one line i mean it was absolutely phenomenal and you know i, I gotta say it was it was really one of the most impressive things that I've seen in a theater in a long, long time. So if you're looking to stay out of the cold this weekend, looking for some indoor entertainment, there is some outdoor stuff going on, but God bless you if you're out uh, bearing it. Um, try to see uh, either Smuggler or Grand Horizons. There are tickets available, uh, and both shows have evening and matinee shows this weekend. So uh, check it out. And as always, thank you for reading thebradentontimes.com. We'll be back next week. For Don Kitterman, I'm Mitch Maley. This has been the Bradenton Times Podcast. Yeah.